Hi there, everybody. Woo! <laughs> Little technical difficulties there, getting all three of us connected and my headphones and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we're so happy that you're here on Spiral Lab live stream. And I'm so excited to be back on the live stream. Um, thanks for being here. And I would definitely love, as always, to see you pop up in the chat so that we know who's with us. Um, if you're new, definitely introduce yourself if you feel like it. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you saw, but last week we put up a video where um, my friend Gray and I were talking about maximalism and sort of the deeper meaning of maximalism. Um, and today I'm really excited to be joined by my friends from the Divergent Design Studios community, John and Paint. Um, because we've sort of been having a conversation over there at DDS about kind of like going into the specifics of um, how we interact with maximalism as neurodivergent people. And so that's what we're going to talk about. But first, um, I'm just going to very quickly, I'm seeing the, um, some things come up in the chat. And it's, uh, I'm sorry, my eyes aren't so great. Oh, it's Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. So nice to see you. Glad you're here. Katie is here. Marin is here. Hi, Marin. And Vatsalia is here. Um, yay. Glad to see you pop up on my notifications again after so long. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, but uh, there's been a lot going on. But um, I, we're back. We're back and we're hoping to put out... Sorry. Um, hoping to put out a video or a live stream almost every week again. So anyway, uh, this is this is Paint and John, and I'm going to actually read their introductions just so that I can be sure that I get it um, correct. Uh, Paint is somebody who has been my friend for a very long time and was one of the founding members of DDS. Um, and in fact, I'm, Paint is an amazing artist, and I'm wearing Paint's shirt. Um, which is just so wonderful and lovely and comfy. And there's a link um, in the description box below to both Paint and John's work if you're interested. Um, but Paint is a queer disabled artist and poet in the never-ending process of healing PTSD and discovering new ways to s create and live authentically. They have an educational background in disability studies, and he currently lives um, I wasn't sure if this was fun employed paint. I meant to ask you this or unemployed. <laughs> um, well, I mean, like I, I, I said fun employed, which is the same as unemployed, but <laughs> that's perfect. I wasn't sure if it was a typo or not, but I, either way, I loved it. Um, and lives fun employed as a full-time disabled person, unmasking and rediscovering safety in life. Yeah. And, um, and one of the things that I'm hoping we, we can talk about a little bit today is the ways that like maximalism is part of that creating of a feeling of safety in our homes and our spaces. So welcome to paint. Um, John is a newer friend of mine, a newer member of DDS, 
but already like making such amazing contributions there in our peer support groups um, and has quickly become a friend as well. I'm really excited to have John here. Um, John is a writer, rhetor, teacher, street photographer, and anti-poverty activist, born in New York City and living now in Denver, Colorado. He recently survived a stroke. Um, I didn't know that, John. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that, which took with it a not insignificant chunk of his sense of proprioception. More recently, he was diagnosed with ADHD. Welcome to the clan, <laughs> which has occasioned a sometimes overwhelming, sometimes exhilarating, almost always exhausting, I hear you, process of re-understanding why and how he is who he is. Um, so that's Paint and John. Um, and like I said, there's links to both of them have online presences um, that you definitely want to go click through and take a look at. Um, but to just to get started quickly on this conversation, last week in my um, video, in the video that I made with Gray, uh, we were talking about how maximalism really satisfies um, my sensory needs. Um, and specifically, uh, um, I was thinking about how I have, like as a neurodivergent person, I have really complicated and multiple and often conflicting <laughs> sensory needs. Like in some ways I'm um, very sens sensory seeking and in other ways I'm very sensory defensive. And sometimes it depends on what the sense is. <laughs> and sometimes um, it depends on my like sort of context and circumstances and it can shift. But in general, I would say that visually I'm very sensory seeking and, um, and I find like, I, I find um, sort of beauty and color and texture and layers and like beautiful arrangements of objects. All of that is very stimmy for me in a really positive way. And if I don't have those things, I feel the way a lot of people talk about too much stuff. Like some people talk about uh, maximalism as being like too overstimulating and it makes them feel chaotic and uncomfortable. And I'm just like the opposite. That's how I feel in a really minimal space. Um, in a in a maximalist space, that's where I sort of take a deep breath and feel my body calm down. And I think that that has a lot to do with my visual sensory needs. Um, and so I was just wondering, Pate and John, I, uh, uh, I don't know what order you want to go in, but if you could just talk a little bit about the ways that maximalism um, interacts with your own sensory needs as neurodivergent people. Um, which of you would, we should have probably decided this. <laughs> yeah. John, would you, John, would you mind just getting us started and talking a little sure. bit about that? And then, and then we have lots of more to talk about as well. So this is just a beginning question. Well, the, the, the first thing that uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about your sensory needs, and I feel um, much the same when it comes to the visual not just about color, but about texture and about a sense of um, layering. And it's also about kind of 
um, different angles on things, you know, so there oh. are some places that I like to go just because when I say I like to go, I mean like within my own home, you know, where I'll just kind of sit in this chair rather than that chair because this chair gives me the angle that I like um, on whatever else is in the room. Um, so I was thinking about that, but the other thing I was thinking about, and I hadn't connected this to maximalism exactly, um, but I think I have very um, uh, sensory-seeking dreams um, oh. that that the so often when I dream, they are really like dreams of geometry almost, where I'll be um, – oftentimes it's like a <laughs> – It'll be like a roller coaster, but that, you know, is like 450 miles long and all kinds of, and I'm just kind of moving through spaces that are angularly or geometrically kind of different than the, the world that, you know, I'm inhabiting right now. Um, and so that, that, I don't know what to call that exactly, it, it, but my geometry seeking or shape seeking, but also um, that it's in motion and in time. You know, it's not static. It's uh, I think the the what I'm seeking the dynamic view. Maybe uh, I can't tell you how much I love that you are a maximalist, not just in your home, but in your dreams. In, in my dreams. <laughs> like, like that's really cool. But I also take your point that it that it takes this very um, geometric and like it's interesting that you're talking about it in terms of space and time as well, which yeah. of course are topics that we love to talk about um, here on the Spiral Lab and in DDS for sure. That's very cool. I love that. How about you, Paint? Um, what are the ways you feel like maximalism either satisfies or doesn't your own sensory needs as a neurodivergent person? Um, well, like similar to jo to John, I have a lot of kind of like sort of stations throughout my home and mm. I'm trying to design it um, so that, you know, I can do an activity if I want to or um, just be able to like take things in. I also like I'm also I think a maximalist in my fashion. <laughs> so it's very chaotic and um i love to layer and i love texture and different types of things and um you know i've been living on my own sort of for the first time in my life and i'm like in my early 30s now and it's really interesting because it's like i can finally really explore like what gives me joy and um when i got on disability i like use my back pay to buy furniture that brought me joy so like right now i'm sitting in a hammock chair because that's something that i find really comforting with my with my body and my back pain and also just like sensory wise it's like very comforting and i can see my kitchen i have these like really cool stools that i got um, that are like antique stools or I don't know if they're antique, but they're like painted barn stools or something. I, they're, they're weird. I think I have a picture, but I'd have to find it. I didn't know I was going to talk about that, but <laughs> um, yeah. And I just, it, it's just like, there was a certain point in my life, I think where I had to give into the chaos because mm -hmm. I, I was I was going through a lot emotionally and there was a lot of stuff and it just was like okay I have to I just have to like let the chaos win and and now it's like I can kind of 
I can kind of take control of like, okay, well, what does it mean now for me to move within my chaos? That's so interesting because um, I've been thinking a lot about clutter core. I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, the, the name of this sort of new aesthetic that the kids are into these days. <laughs> um, I had never heard of it until just recently when it got sort of slammed and pathologized by a couple of minimalists on um, YouTube who have a podcast and we're actually working on a sort of response in defense of clutter core uh, video. Um, but because of that, well, because I just like hate anything being pathologized, especially a design style that's bringing a lot of joy to a lot of young people. Um, I sort of went down a clutter core uh, rabbit hole and, and it, I, I guess I would say that, as my understanding of it is that cluttercore is kind of like um, vintage, whimsical mass, um, maximalism. So it's a, a variety of maximalism, maybe, um, but that is a little bit more heavy on kind of vintage and being really eclectic and having a lot of whimsy. And I would say that it's not exactly my style, but. Um, but it, but just the name of it, because my first thought was like, oh no, I hate clutter. Um, so I couldn't possibly be into clutter core. But just like you were saying, Payne, I feel like, um, like what it has taught me, like learning more and more about clutter core is that it's, it's not just vintage and whimsical, but it's curated. Like it sort of introduced the, the idea of, um, of maximalism being a curated aesthetic. And I think it's often misunderstood as just being messy, but that's not really what it is on the one hand. But on the other hand, I am kind of a messy person. <laughs> I do have like lots of hobbies and projects and I get involved in something and I get like in a zone and I um, don't want to stop to clean up. And I kind of feel like, maximalism becomes an aesthetic that helps me to kind of in some ways curate the, the inevitable and just gives me a different kind of relationship to mess and makes me feel a lot less shame, ashamed of it. Um, so that, that really um, resonated what you were saying paint about kind of giving into the chaos but not in a like defeatist, like I'm defeated by it kind of way, but more in an I'm going to embrace it kind of way. I don't know if that speaks to either of you, especially the whole clutter core thing. I'm kind of intrigued what to hear what you guys know or think about clutter core, if anything. Well, my impression is that what you were just saying now is right in terms of um, clutter core kind of a brand that has, you know, emerged in, in right. Instagram and so on and so forth. And that um, it is connected to the idea of being vintage and the idea of sort of a generalized quirkiness and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but to, to my mind, it's, um, or at least, you know, what of it I've seen, um, it's a little too curated. It's a little huh. too kind of performative or, you know, that, in my judgment, you know, it seems a little too deliberate. Um, whereas what, what I like about it um, and what I've liked about it long before I heard the word clutter core, you know, right. was that it had this kind of um, 
part of what what made it adaptive is that it was truly lived in right you know that it, it is something that had um you know sort of curated over time but really kind of accumulated um in a way that that was uh workable and, and comfortable and so on and so forth and that the um the aesthetic kind of is a result of that slow work you know, the idea of kind of very slowly uh and uh, deliberately creating the space wherein your work gets done in the process of doing that work. Um, and so in that sense, I mean, I, I take Payne's point very well. There are times when you feel like you need to sort of like just give in, let the chaos win. Um, but I kind of think that another way to think about Quattercore is what you build out of the chaos. Mm. You know, that, 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 that when there there are times when, chaos wins whether you want it to or not you know it's not your decision it just does um and you can either try to um you know abolish it you know just clean, truly clean house and and make everything um uh, uh adhere to some kind of rational scheme um or you can work with the chaos in recognition of the fact of contingency and and history and and life yeah I, I love that, that that made me think that one of the things that I really do love about maximalism is not just that it's layered and narrative, but it's layered over time. That yeah. it is, like, it. I take your point about some of these spaces being overly curated, but I think that, um, that it's also true that you and I have had a lot longer to live and even paint has had a lot longer to live to sort of curate the layers, you know, like I love that idea of the, of the, um, of the chaos being the raw material then um, that we then sort of curate, but, but over time in a way that um, creates layers and meaning and story. And I Mm -hmm. suspect actually that some of the, um, some of the images that we're seeing on social media under the hashtag cluttercore, it strikes me that a lot of them are very young people who are, you know, who are sort of yeah. claiming their right to display their collections of their special interests and stuff. And many of them are like living in their first apartments or still living in their parents' houses and they just haven't had time to curate layers out of the chaos. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, it was just, yeah. it was just an interesting thing that I hadn't thought of. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Do you have any thoughts, Paint, on clutter core? Is that even a concept that you've been thinking um, about or I, familiar with? So, like, that term is new to me as of this week. Um, but I, I definitely think it applies. And it's interesting when you talk about kind of, like, these layers. Um, if you want to um, – I've got, like, some pictures that I can share of – sort of like places where I've, where I've lived before and like where I live now and, and the situation that it's like, but um, like, it was interesting when I moved into this space that I'm in currently, my mom had this reaction where she was like, oh, like you actually have like a normal amount of stuff, but I've been like trying to jam in all of these layers of myself into like these like smaller spaces. So it's always been very, like chaotic and like it's always been very like out of control and so you know i'm getting to a point where it's like all right well i'm trying to move my chaos like slowly up off the floor 
but like there's also just this like honesty about about my space i think and um you know it's taken time for me to try to figure out what does it mean to like have a space that actually like reflects who i am as a person and i feel like i've been really disjointed a lot of the time because i've had to move a lot as a as an adult right so it's just kind of been like dragging all these things along and a lot of them represent a lot of the objects that we collect i think over our lives they represent some kind of like ambition or dream or like thing that we that we want to work on or thing that we find interesting um so <laughs> and like i i like to use random objects to store other objects so like i'll use mm. like a speaker to store bracelets or i've i've used bedposts to store necklaces and it's it's all about like it turns everything i own into part of the art that is me and i like to think of my space as like a reflection of like what's going on inside my mind and so if the clutter is like completely out of control then it's like okay maybe maybe that means I'm like not doing so, um, so great. Right. Um, but I, I, I can like kind of pull it together sometimes. <laughs> I'm just, a, I'm loving these photographs. Um, one of the things that you just said, I think you said that your, your mess or your clutter or your maximalism is, um, sort of part of the art that is you. And I loved that. Um, and I had a thought that is now escaping me that was really profound that'll come back to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, oh, I know what I was going to say is that I think a lot of minimalists would argue that the causation goes, you live in a cluttered house and therefore yourself and your mind is chaotic because of the chaos in your house. And I think it's the opposite. I, and I think this is what you were saying, that for me, chaos in my space is a reflection of something that's already going on inside of me and can become kind of a, like a marker or a, um, a signal, you know, that like, oh, I can't keep up with my laundry and there's dish, dirty dishes everywhere. That's not what's causing me to feel bad. It's the result of my feeling bad. Um, and, and it sometimes becomes sort of an outward sign, you know, that like kind of clues me in. Like sometimes I, it's hard to keep track of how and what I'm feeling, but sometimes I can just look around me and know that, oh, I'm not doing so well. Um, yeah, so I do think it serves that kind of purpose. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. Um, Paint, you talked a little bit about uh, the fact that you have lots of desks, uh, which strikes me as a sort of maximalist kind of um, way of furnishing your house. And I think you've even said that you have your bed in your living room and um, and I'm really intrigued by the ways that thinking outside the box and um, breaking the rules of interior design and especially in a sort of maximalist over the what some people would consider over the top or excessive way about how some of those things 
can just be accommodations for our disabilities. So for example, one of the rules, the so-called rules that I see all the time um, uh, on like, you know, I watch a lot of interior design YouTube and stuff like that. And it used to be that open shelves were all the rage in your kitchen and now they're going out like all these trends, whatever. Um, but so now the trend is you shouldn't have open shelves in your kitchen because it's just messy and nobody can actually live that way. And you should put everything behind doors so that we don't see the mess. And I, my feeling is that I have this like out of sight, out of mind kind of phenomenon that I think lots of people who are neurodivergent share that if it's behind a closed door and I can't see it, I'm just going to forget that it's there. So like literally in my kitchen, we have open shelved pantry um, like just bookcases in our kitchen or our pantry because otherwise we forget and like stuff just like sits in there and doesn't get used. And then we buy new ones because we've forgotten that it's there. And it's true that they get messy sometimes, um, but it's not that hard to clean them up. And also I kind of feel like sometimes um, like accommodating my disability is more important than um, some specific aesthetic, even if it's mine, like even if I would rather have perfectly curated pantry shelves to look at, um, it's more important that I have like food that's accessible to me. So I don't know if you guys have examples and Payne, I was thinking that your, your multiple desks are a perfect example of this. I suspect that a lot of minimalists would be like, why on earth do you need more than one desk? And so I, I thought that it might be interesting to hear you talk a little bit about the ways that you use um, those desks and other furniture that you have in your house. Um, yeah. So like one of the things that's really important to me is I'm trying to um, regain my capacity for writing. Um, I uh, had a traumatic incident in 2014 that, impacted my ability to uh, do all that I wanted um, in terms of my creativity. And it was quite challenging. And so I want to create a space where it's like, I am invited to do this thing that's really important to me anywhere I am and without a lot of movement, because I do also have like physical disability and issues like that. So it's like, if I don't have a notebook nearby or a desk nearby it's like, I'm not going to be able to act on that spurt of inspiration or that idea. And so it's really important to me that I have all of those kind of like little bits handy. And so I do need to create these kind of stations throughout my home where I can kind of tend to my creative mind. And so um, I'm setting up, I'm, I just am in the process of rearranging my home. <laughs> So it's um it's going through a little bit of a phase right now, but I think that I'm like coming towards the place in which it's like a little bit more um, curated and and stuff. Um, for my physical disability too, um, I know laundry has always been like a really big issue. Um, getting my laundry done, keeping on top of my clothes, keeping my clothes organized. Um, and in the basement suite where I'm living, my laundry is in my kitchen. And so I have this like open concept living room area. And so my initial instinct, which, which was abhorrent to everyone in my family and everyone I knew was I should put my bed in the living room and I should divide 
the living room area up so that there is a direct line between my bedroom and the laundry machine to try to reduce the amount of laundry buildup and the amount of like um, the struggles around that. And I got a rolling laundry hamper and I, I have like rolling clothing racks and like that system didn't quite work. Um, I do have um, a picture here of with um, the way I have like a curtain dividing the space uh mm. and and also like an older kitchen that i had um where i had like a desk in the kitchen i, I don't know it's just a cute picture but um using a curtain to divide the space i also um <laughs> i also made mock-ups in the sims to try to illustrate since i had like a really <laughs> messy messy situation <laughs> i was like this will better demonstrate what i'm talking about <laughs> um I, this this system didn't didn't quite work because I still ended up with a lot of clothes um, pile up and and I'm having trouble navigating that as my weight is fluctuating with my health and um, I I've decided to just turn that entire area into like a giant walk-in closet so now instead of having my bedroom in the living room I'm just gonna have a giant walk-in closet and I also like I'm also putting a bookshelf in there. Because I'm like, well, you know, I'll come in here. I'll, like, put myself together. I, I made this joke. I'm decorating my body and my brain, right? I'm going to set up a little vanity. Because it's like, I haven't had time in my life to take care of myself. Because so much of myself has been sacrificed to either appeasing other people or trying to, like, rush to meet other expectations. Because, like, I do require more time to take care of myself um than other than than maybe like the 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 standard person is expected to or like it maybe it doesn't take more time but it's like a painful process um you know i might struggle with things and so having like a really comforting like big open closet is something that i've always dreamed of so it's like why do i have to like wait for some fancy closet when i could just make my own closet in my living room and have that be my closet Absolutely. Like rich people get to have whole rooms be their dressing rooms, <laughs> right? Like why shouldn't why shouldn't you do that if that's like if that's what works for you? I just love that I love how you have always since I since I've known you, you've like really um thought outside the box in terms of how you arrange your house to accommodate your disability. And to me that's like at the heart of what I call divergent design, for sure. How about you, John? Are there any ways that you're sort of arranging your home, whether or not it's maximalist, that are related to either neurodivergence, and it sounds like you also have other disabilities as well? Yeah, the um, well, just as a kind of a footnote to what uh, Paint was saying before, it was maybe four or five months ago, um, I... I the, I do not have a lot of closet space, as is often the case with you know people who live in, in apartments, and um, and the the door never kind of worked right in the the one that's in my bedroom, and finally it it sort of broke to the point where I out of frustration I just kind of like tore it off, and I looked I said actually I really like the look of this like <laughs> they're just having it not closed off and just having the lines of shirts and and piles of yeah. uh, pants and so on. It's like, no, this is, this was, you know, um, uh, a little piece of beauty that emerged out of like a fit of anger, you know, because I couldn't get the damn door open. Um, but um, 
Yeah, no, I, you know, it's um, what, what Paint was saying before. There, there are there are issues like like laundry. The laundry is the <laughs> the bane of my existence now, um, and partly because it just involves um, going down multiple flights of stairs several times back and forth. <laughs> and um, I've got strange back issues that make that a fairly um, harrowing kind of experience. Um, but in terms of, a, of accommodations, you know, maybe um, Jesse will put up a, a, a picture if she can um, on the, the PowerPoint that I sent to y'all. But I think that the, the way that, that, so what we're looking at here, and I'll, I'll try to talk my way through this. So that's a wall of my living room. And the, um, the photographs that are there on that wall are all photographs that I've taken. And if we look at the, the next slide after that, you'll see the same wall. And here I'm wearing, um, this was a, a bandana during sort of lockdown when we were all masking up and stuff. But what you can see on it, it's a print of the photograph that is behind me kind of on the wall. And I've put that photograph on the next slide there. Um, the next slide down. There it is. <clears throat> so, you know, one of the things that I, I, I teach writing and um, one of the places where I, I do I've done a lot of teaching for a long time um, is in various homeless shelters. Um, and what we're looking at here, this photograph, this was just in the alley sort of next to my house. Um, but it's, a, you know, a shopping cart where somebody had accumulated sort of all, all of their, their, their worldly possessions. Um, and that one thing that I've been kind of thinking about since we've been uh, chatting about uh, maximalism and clutter core and so on and so forth is how it is that that principle of design kind of overflows the home space as well. Um, and that uh, oftentimes what you'll see if you kind of work in the, the spaces where I do is this um, sort of unhoused version of clutter core, um, which hmm. to sort of uh, go back to something I was saying before, it's, it's I think, uh, 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 an aesthetic of resistance, right? That it's people who, um, for whom chaos has won at some, you know, at some point in the, the far distant or immediate uh, past, and that, Oftentimes what you see in the way that they arrange the spaces that they don't own and don't, you know, oftentimes are, are prohibited from entering um, are similar to some of the things that you'll see, like, you know, in my photographs or on my uh, bags. You know, I have um, very decorated yeah, bags like that. That's one of the shelters I work in, in fact. Um, but that there's this effort to kind of reclaim chaos in the name of design and 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 livable design you know to try to mm. to make equipment for a living out of what uh would otherwise be just sort of entropy um and so i that's something i've, I've really been thinking about a lot without necessarily having a name to put to it you know until we sort of started our conversation um over the last week or so but yeah you're looking there that's a, a bicycle uh that's um a friend of mine who is um, a frequent visitor to one of the shelters that I work at. And uh, the, the, the picture, the detail isn't probably good enough to really capture it, but he's got all these little icons and, and sort of um, tiny little, you know, um, photographs and like beads and all this sort of stuff. 
<clears throat> that um, he he adorns this bicycle with and travels around. He's traveled across the country a few times with this bicycle, apparently. Wow. But that people will, um, <clears throat> he will give, you know, a, a decoration to anyone who asks for it and accepts decorations from those who give the give it to him. And so the, the bicycle, which he's riding around the country, is also this kind of like mobile, evolving piece of installation art that, that you can, as, a, as a, another person in the street, participate in. You know, you can give him a, a little statuette or, you know, a little uh, photograph or a little piece of jewelry or something like that. And so as he's traveling around the country, this, this bicycle art is kind of um, evolving as he goes. And that, um, that's what I've really been thinking a lot about when it comes to clutter core is not just how does it, how does it um, serve the, the design in my home or in homes, you know, in general, but how does it kind of spill out and, and into the street and, and sort of migrate um, into public spaces and so on. Um, it's really kind of fascinating to me. Once you start paying attention how often you'll see these little deliberately arranged clusters yeah. of things in out-of-the-way places or in, mm-hmm. in maybe places that catch your eye right away because it's some guy on a bicycle and it's the craziest bicycle you've ever seen, <clears throat> or just um, in uh, alleyways and so on where you'll come across deliberately arranged little like groupings of, of toys and tchotchke or something that you think, who... Who did that and why? Yeah, right. That that you're you're you're. It's hidden essentially, but you still did it for what? The benefit of me running through the alley to get to the bus stop quicker, or like I, it's just um, as an impulse. It's so striking to me um, uh, how widely it, it I, I can find it. That's amazing. I had not thought about that at all, but. Um, I loved your phrase, an aesthetic of resistance. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, I think that it's interesting to me that um, clutter core, like I said recently, specifically by these two minimalists who shall not be named, mostly because I can't remember their names, but um, who, who called clutter core a, uh, a mental illness masquerading as a design style. And I took such offense at that, especially because I think of clutter core as especially being a young people's aesthetic right now. Um, and I think that, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm the mom of a 19 year old and a 25 year old, and um, I'm just acutely aware of everything that they've been through and how hard the world is for them right now. And I do think of this, as a they, and they have been vastly pathologized these young people mm-hmm. um for all sorts of reasons um you know like there's been such a proliferation of dsm codes in their lifetimes um and i think that in many ways they're sort of reclaiming their right to have their stuff to collect their stuff and also to like their right to just accept the chaos as opposed to like you were saying earlier, John, um, that the sort of the opposite is this like uber rational, Mm -hmm. super stark kind of 
very, very controlled minimalist style. I think that they're resisting that. I think that, that it's a, an aesthetic of resistance. Not, I mean, again, I had, I just brilliant to think of it um, in terms of outside the home and people who don't have homes. But um, I think that we can connect that even to the aesthetic as we're seeing it as a hashtag on Instagram, you know? Um, yeah. That's just really fascinating to me. One other quick thing, and then I want to go to some of the comments. Um, is that one of the one of the YouTube uh, videos that I watched about Cluttercore? I'm afraid that I can't remember her name, Catherine. Maybe um, we're we're gonna link to her in our video defending Cluttercore. I can't remember her name right now, and I don't have any photos. But one of the things that she talked about is vignettes. Like this is what you're talking about. Like she thinks of it as sort of a form, a three dimensional form of art. You know, yeah. and she likes to, she loves vintage. She loves to go shopping for vintage. It's a real special interest of hers. And then she just like every, and again, this isn't exactly my aesthetic, but every surface of her home is a really carefully thought out vignette of things that she has found and loves and brings her joy. And I do think that it's also a kind of, um, whether it's inside our homes or outside our homes, it's a kind of performance art as well. I was thinking about your mm -hmm. friend with the bicycle. Like that is very yeah. much, you know, like if, <laughs> if he were Banksy or somebody like rich and well-known, we would call him an artist. Like I think about this with my son, yeah. who's really into cars and he does really cool things like making them low stance and cambering the wheels and like doing all this stuff that to me is just like sculpture and performance art. But, you know, it doesn't get recognized as that. Um, yeah, very cool. Very cool. I want, there's, a, I have more questions, guys, <laughs> but I do want to um, really briefly come to the comments because people have been chatting away and I don't want to ignore them. And, um, and obviously, I think that, that as I read them, Jesse will put them up on the screen. And then if you guys have anything that you want to comment on or, um, or anything resonates for you, feel free. Um, let's see, where are we? Uh, uh, the one that says, I had to give into the chaos. What does it mean now for me to move within my chaos? Yeah, I, that was, I think, quoting paint. Um, mm -hmm. And I really, I agree. I really loved that. Um, and, uh, Oh, and then this one by my friend Bug, who goes by Spiral Nerd here, says that um, they came a little late to the convo, but this is making me think about Goblin Core. Is that what it says? Yeah, Goblin Core, <laughs> which feels fun and resonant to me. I'd never heard of that, but it's, it, it feels very fun to me, too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe sort of akin to cottage core. There's all these things, right? They, they've, like you said, John, they've all become brands, but um, cause we have to turn everything into something that you can sell. Of course. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. There's a bunch that are just uh, sort of uh, restating things that various people said, which is wonderful. Um, but there is one that says my pantry doesn't exist to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's true for a lot of us, right? So like, let's just take yeah. the doors off. 
let's just let's like like turn it into an aesthetic. <laughs> Why not, right? Um, and accommodating my disability is more important than following a particular aesthetic. That's one that like I don't think that they have to be in competition. Like my aesthetic sensibilities and my um, accommodating my disabilities, but sometimes they are. And when they are, I always go with accommodation because like that, I guess maybe that is also an aesthetic, right? Um, Susan says yay to multiple desks. Um, uh, I, hold on one second, Alyssa. I, I just couldn't remember the name of this person. Alyssa says, I'm invited to do this thing that is important to me anywhere I am. This was um, re-quoting paint. If I don't have a desk nearby, I'm not able to act on this idea um, or spurt of inspiration. Um, I, I, I think that that one really, that thing that you said, uh, paint really resonated for me because I do feel like often um, for me, things percolate for a really long time and it looks like I'm being inactive or procrastinating or even being lazy. And then like inspiration comes to me like all of a piece and I just need there to be a place to like fulfill it, you know? Um, and I think that like you have, you have done that in your home with multiple desks I have a whole art studio in my home that takes up the space that should be my living room. And I sometimes feel bad because I don't make as much art as I would like to. But when I have the time and the inclination and the inspiration, I just love that I have the space and my supplies are all there. Um, and we don't have any other need for that space. So it's not like I'm displacing anybody, <laughs> but yeah, for sure. Um, Alyssa also says, oh, my God, the Sims mock-up. I used to do that all the time. Totally. My my daughter was really into Sims when she was little. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Paint, about how you use Sims? Because I know there's all kinds of, like, fancy um, interior design and architecture software out there that you can get. But you're doing it on Sims, and it's brilliant. Yeah, well, I mean, like, for me, Sims is an accessible tool. Um, it's... Um, it's something that I have already. It's something that I use already. And so this is something that I have always done. Um, ever since I, like, ever since I started playing the game, I would always, one of the first things I would do would be to design or try to make the house that I'm currently living in, in the game. Um, and it was also something that, um, one of my former partners did so we would do it together and like you know see what our what our our houses would look like and um you know i'm i'm lucky enough that i have like most of the expansion packs so i can i can do all the things but you can still do like the base game stuff uh for free um which is good but otherwise it's a very expensive hobby don't get into it um i do not i do not endorse I do not endorse <laughs> EA. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, it's just it's just a really fun way to explore. And so like one of the things I did was I, when I first moved in, I would, I, I drew it out in The Sims. Um, and then I made like a multi-layered house that had, it was just my same floor plan over and over again, right? So the the cabinet fixtures would all stay the same. 
and then everything else I could uh, I could just rearrange it over and over and over again and and have furniture sort of stand in for the different things that I have to try to figure out like well what's gonna what's gonna work best. I just think it's such a brilliant um, tool and a, a brilliant repurposing of a tool that's meant to be for some something else. And you've just found this. I think I, I just feel like it's like the perfect divergent design tool. Because, <laughs> and it's it's just sort of intrinsically ma maximalist the way that you're using it. And I just love it so much. I'm so old school. Like I, I never got into Sims or any of those kinds of things. And I still literally, I'm kind of spatially challenged in terms of um, what will fit into a space. Like I always think that I can fit way bigger pieces of furniture and more of it into a space. And so what I do is I get a, make a scale drawing on grid paper and then mm -hmm. cut out scale um, pieces of furniture you know, I like put painter's tape on the back to make them a little bit um, hardier. <laughs> and then I can just like literally move them around on my piece of graph paper. And that works for me. But this is like so much more 3D and so much more realistic. And I just love it. Um, I'm like you, Marta. I've done the same thing with um, wall decorations. Because I don't have a sense of like what would actually fit. You know, right. and so I'll... I'll do it with pencil and paper and just like cutting things out and go, okay, yeah, no, that that's what made way more than I could fit. So now I've got to figure out a different scheme. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's fun yeah. to cut out little pieces of like just the shape of the furniture and then like label mm -hmm. it like couch. And then you draw the room on like paper <laughs> and then you're just like couch here and table there. Oh, <laughs> don't think it's going to fit. And you just move it around. <laughs> That's the only way that I can, that I can like initially design a room and like, like I'm about to, um, not about to, I'm hoping to get to it this summer to sort of redo my bedroom. We, we sort of did a little bit of what you're doing. We don't have our bed in the living room yet, although we may because my husband has some mobility issues and we're now sleeping on the second floor and who knows, maybe eventually we'll move our bedroom downstairs. But right now we did move it from what sh is supposed to be the master bedroom, um, which is like the biggest room in the, the upstairs and the one that actually has a closet. Like a, I mean, we live in a pretty old house. And so similar to you, John, in an apartment, even though it's mm -hmm. a house, we don't really have any closets. <laughs> like it's right. from the turn of the 20, from the turn of the 20th century when they just didn't have a lot of clothes and didn't need closets. Um, but anyway, we moved our bed into the very smallest room um, at the very back of the house. And it, because we have a king size bed, it basically fills the room and we can't right now even have two side tables. So poor Joel doesn't even mm. get to have a side table on his side of the bed. Um, and I'm convinced that there's a way to reconfigure it. Uh, but I haven't quite figured it out and I'm definitely going to have it's, and it's going to involve taking some doors off John <laughs> and yeah. possibly even like getting a new radiator. Cause the radiator is so big and old, like, <laughs> um, but, but the first thing that I'm going to do for sure is um, just lay it out on graph paper and just see what will work. Yeah. Cause, cause otherwise, like if you don't get that right, then then it doesn't matter like what pretty paint colors you choose, you know? Well, and I think that's, I think that's the, th the thing about um, the different 
what, what do I want to call it exactly? There are kind of different sizes of clutter core, and uh, it seems to me, and that one of the things that defines them is the frame, right? Mm-hmm. So you're thinking about that room as a framing device for what, and that and oftentimes that's the difference between unadulterated chaos, you know, and um, uh, equipment for living and a, and a living aesthetic. <clears throat> um, so like that, yeah, no, my closet, it just so happened that it looked like how I wanted it to when the door came off. That was a, a happy accident. But there's a, just a, or like some of the photographs that we were looking at before, there's a world of difference between um, some objects that are arranged in the street in a particular way versus, um, you know, things that are just uh, in a pile. Um, there's a difference between mm-hmm. something framed out in some sense and something that's not. The framing is is just an essential part of it being an aesthetic rather than pure contingency. Right. I love that. What were uh, you going to say, Payne? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, what, what John just said actually really kind of helped frame what I was going to uh, <laughs> add a little bit better because I'm just thinking back now to my childhood and I'm realizing that my approach to design and style and how I like to live and what I see as ideal probably has roots in that. Because when I was in my preteens, uh, my kneecaps started dislocating and mm. I broke off a bone chunk at one point and my joint was locking. So I could no longer do stairs. Um, mm. There was a bathroom with a shower on the main floor. So at, at a certain point, my family and I, we all just sort of like relented to the fact that this is not working. And um, in our dining room, which was kind of used as a playroom because we had our, our table in the kitchen area instead. Um, and then we'd often eat in the living room watching TV. So like the dining room really wasn't getting used. Um, we kind of put like the, the computer desk or like some kind of desk. There was some kind of separation And then there was this big, um, like, homemade um, bookshelf along the wall. And so we just kind of, like, slid in my mattress there. And then it was, like, my bed bed was just, like, a mattress on the floor, but in between this bookshelf and this desk. And I just remember organizing things on the shelf and Hmm. how much joy that brought me to be in this kind of, like, little nest and, like, if I didn't like sleep down there, then I would have to share a bedroom with my sister. So this was my, this was my own personal haven. I had this tiny little corner that was all 100% mine. I didn't have to deal with anybody else. I could sort things however I wanted. And it was just so fun. And I just, I've always done that. Like when I, um, when I had my, my room too, when I had my desk in my bedroom as a teenager, I remember I had a collection of happy faces. I was really into happy faces before emojis because this was like back in like 2005. So before emojis were like a real big thing, the way everyone is like into it now, I was like obsessed with happy faces. I had a happy face beaded curtain. I had like a collection of like, I like to say 200 different tiny happy faces, happy face car, little happy face stick men that we found at the dollar store. Like, Everyone just, you know, they, they know that you like something. And so then everyone just gives you that, right, yeah. at a certain point. And so I had this corner and it was just like my happy face shrine. And it was just like all <laughs> like yellow and like white. And I had a butterfly chair and it was just like so much joy. 
so much joy in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it occurs to me that, um, so I was talking before about frames with an alternative or another um, angle, I guess, on the same thing is um, centers of gravity, right? So sometimes you kind of contain things within a frame, and that might have been what was happening with your um, happy face space, right? But there's also just um, things kind of accumulating and attaching themselves to one another would be another, um, I don't know, I feel like there should be some art history term that is obvious and I just don't know it, <laughs> but that um, where it's not about framing things, it's about accumulating things together, right? And so that would be um, something that um, I have, I uh, don't really have many pictures of it that I sent, but uh, there are a lot of, just about any surface that I have where there's um, room, there are deliberately arranged collections of little objects. And the objects um, typically have either um, some kind of personal significance to me, even if I don't necessarily know what it is, um, but they're kind of then fleshed out with things that I just like the way it looks in that cluster. So they, what they mean, I don't know, and maybe I won't ever know. But it's uh, maybe it's more of a, if we think about uh, framing as being kind of fundamentally what you do with two, a two-dimensional art form, this is more like sculptural, right? So yeah. you've got things that are, that are uh, stuck together. Uh, but I think like the, the backpacks that I've got are examples of that. The various bookshelves, not this one, the one behind me is, is truly just giving into chaos, <laughs> but just <laughs> lots of bookshelves with little sort of tchotchke and figurines and stuff that are kind of deliberately arranged um, in some way. That would be the, yeah. the, uh, the other form of whatever that might be, anti-framing maybe. I love that. Um, uh, Alyssa says the word assemblage comes to mind. There we go. There we go. That's yeah. It. Yeah. 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 But I, I love the idea. I loved what you said about a center of gravity. And I think it can also be information, right? That if stuff mm -hmm. is accumulating, it can, it can be data or it can be, that can be turned into art or it can just be data about like, sort of practical organizational things that we need to think about. Like my daughter's theory. And I don't, I think that she might've gotten this from Tumblr, so I don't want to misattribute it. But like, if you have a pile in your house, just put a basket under it, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like don't resist the pile because like, obviously, like if you have a, you know, a pile of shoes in her house, her housemate comes home, takes her shoes off and puts them on the shoe rack, but then takes her socks off and just dumps them. And so <laughs> my daughter just got a basket and put it by the, door and now right. her housemate puts the socks in the basket and when the basket fills up she takes it to the laundry <laughs> um but i also like your idea of it being sculptural like i'm really mm -hmm. into that idea uh about but i think so much of maximalism is uh is also connected to our creative lives and is an expression like like i only started painting as a sort of artist. I, I've done a little bit of portraiture. I've done a little bit of abstract art. I don't, I don't really, I don't have any intention of pursuing it. It's just a hobby for me. It's like mm -hmm. a hobby that I love. Um, but at one point when I first started painting, which was about five years ago during a really traumatic period in my life, it was really important. Um, and it felt like it was, it was in fact sort of a response to no longer being able to write, um, which something that paint and I 
share to different degrees, but I understand that experience of sort of words failing me and needing to turn to turn to color and images and shapes and lines. Um, and I thought of it at the time as like, oh, this is this brand new thing in my life. I've never thought of myself as an artist. I didn't know I could paint. I didn't know I could draw. It was really revelatory to learn that I could do these things. But more and more now I'm realizing that, oh, I've always been an art, a visual artist. I've always painted. Um, but my house was always my canvas, you know, but I yeah. just, I didn't think of interior design and creating spaces in my home in in the same way that I thought of putting paint on a canvas. And, and now I really do more and more. Um, yeah. And especially because I really like great big canvases and it's like, once you make a few really great big canvases and you're not like, like putting together a show for a gallery, like what do you do with them? <laughs> so, so now I just use walls in my house and I want to like turn to painting the backs of doors one of the um, aesthetics that I really love is, I don't know if you ever heard of the Bloomsbury group in England, um, Virginia Woolf and yeah. um, her sister. And anyway, that whole group lived at a farmhouse called Charleston in the South of England. And they had this like really eclectic, highly decorated aesthetic where they just literally painted everything, um, hand painted it at all. And, I really love it. And it was, the, and it, they also have like books everywhere. It was funny when I was thinking about um, styling, I was thinking, Oh, I have this bookcase downstairs and I need to style it. Um, and I, you know, I was like getting caught up in sort of trends and stuff like that. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to go look at my book about Charleston and see how they styled their bookcases. And lo and behold, they were just full of books. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, like, it's okay to just have lots of books, but they also had like stuff in front of the books, you know, like little tchotchkes and stuff. And I just, that's, that's totally my style. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I keep getting distracted from the amazing comments that we have here. And I do want to, uh, there was, uh, there was one earlier that really, that I liked, um, because Lisa commented, um, about the somatic peer support group. Mm -hmm. And how they talked about, um, I guess, getting dressed and putting outfits together as a stem. And that mm -hmm. is just something that really, I think, resonates with me in terms of, like, my whole, like, walk-in uh, closet thing. And also, like, moving at my own pace in my home, um, you know, because I'm trying to reduce the number of dislocations I have because I'm so used to rushing. And um, I think that I have reduced... And if I do have a dislocation, it is usually less traumatic because I am learning to move sort of gentler and like more authentically. So it's like, you know, I think that there's like something really cool about becoming just like sort of more embodied and like trying to sort of find, I don't know, like the different kind of accommodation where we're just sort of like acknowledging like what our movement needs are. Um, and so like for my kitchen, um, I've got a couple pictures here. At first I put my table in the middle, which just turned into a big laundry pile, um, because the laundry machine's right there. So that was part of why I was like, well, I'll move the laundry stuff somewhere else and I'll have a table over there because then it'll just migrate over there. And 
I realized at a certain point, because like I, I, I was actually afraid. I was afraid of falling down in my kitchen. And so I wanted to have the additional support of having a table nearby. But now I've gone to a point where I'm like, oh, it would be better if I actually have things that I can sit on because my bigger problem is actually standing for extended periods of time when I'm cooking. And so now in my kitchen, I have a ball and my, uh, my rolling stool that I like to sit on when I cook. And that is something that makes my kitchen like more accessible for my movement, but also just, it's so open and I can, um, I can kind of try to move more like joyously through my space. So like, for me, it's like, I am really trying to get to a place where there is less clutter on the floor and move that upward onto my walls, onto tables, onto desks, and have that be like the decoration of me so I can enjoy mm. all of those things that I have, but then also have like the space that I know I can move safely. Cause that is just really important that I that I move through my home safely. So that's my that's my little safety movement, I don't know, something <laughs> thought. That that's like that's that's design at its very best you know um em embracing everything that you love and also accommodating your needs um and figuring that out i was really taken with your rolling chair yeah. paint because we have a we have a stool in our kitchen that joel uses joel does all the cooking in our family and standing is really hard sometimes and i had never thought of a rolling stool like that's genius then he wouldn't even need to get up Right to, to go from chopping things to go th to frying things <laughs> to go to the refrigerator and in our kitchen it's all it's very small so it's all right there. That's brilliant. Um, if any of the if either of you see comments that you would specifically like to um, respond to, please feel free. Uh, I I had forgotten that you could see them, uh, which is great. Um, I wanted to um, note Adina. Uh, says, I don't know if you can see this one, Jesse, but deliberately arranged clusters of things in out of the way places. Um, and Adina calls that placemaking. And I, I, I like that as well, oh. this assemblage, but also placemaking. I'm really into mm -hmm. that. It's really great. Um, Susan is loving an aesthetic of resistance and claiming the right to accept chaos. Um, we have some three cheers for goblin core, lots <laughs> of plants, lots of plants and creepy things. <laughs> um, Adina says, John's share invites me to remove the rigid categories and embrace the world, including humanizing and appreciating the design and placemaking of unhoused people. Yeah. I really, really, really appreciate that insight a lot. Um, yeah. A long time ago, some of you know, I went to law school and I had a, pro a professor in law school who was my property professor and she was brilliant and I love, I loved her and I loved her course. And she wrote at one point, she was writing a lot about homelessness and property and how we sort of basically made it that if you don't own property, you're almost not a person like that. Yeah. We've almost come to equate. Yeah owning some property with being a human being and that way homeless or unhoused um, you, you don't have any place to be human. Like, you know, we've now yeah. created 
dividers on the benches and we've made it impossible. You're not allowed to bathe in the fountains anymore and you're not allowed to sleep on the grates anymore where there's heat. And, you know, like we've made it almost impossible um, to be human or at least by the, the way that our society defines that. And yet, and yet the humanity is just constantly and always like spilling out, right? Like you were saying, John, and bursting forth and it's irrepressible. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're right that like the chaos of stuff that you sometimes see around an unhoused person and also the carefully curated little um, vignettes created by them um, are, are, the resistance to that notion that that people who don't own property aren't actually people. Yeah, that's right. And I think that um, the the other side of that, the the property thing, is that um, not only do you have a not have a place where you're allowed to be, uh, but you're also cut off from being able to communicate um, with other people. There's just no sort of you're, you're kind of unhoused, but at the same time, weirdly privatized in that right. you are, you know, not, not, there's no public for you. And I think that part of what, what goes on with the, um, the, the making uh, uh, something out of the chaos of nothing <clears throat> is a way of asserting your humanity in that you are not just a silent animal but a human being who speaks, even if you're not being listened to, you're not being heard, even if it's unintelligible uh, to most folks, the meaning of that little cluster of stuff that you've deliberately arranged. Um, but it's also kind of a, a resistance to the enforced silence of being a, an unhoused person for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm really curious, I'm really interested in creativity and, um, and the sort of impulse to make and the impulse to um, make art and beauty. And, and I do think that it's just a deeply, deeply human impulse. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it is also an impulse to connect, I think, um, mm -hmm. to, to, to see and be seen. And I was thinking about your friend again on the bicycle, like it, it's a it's an aesthetic of resistance for sure, but I also think that maximalism is almost by definition, um, especially in this sort of spilling out way that you're talking about it, um, an aesthetic of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like like your friend is giving and getting, and cr and like creating even in just like momentary small ways vignettes of relationship. It's not just stuff, yeah, but vignettes yeah. of relationship and connection which is just really beautiful. Um, I think a lot about how, like, just like you were saying that minimalism is often about sort of stark rationalism. It's very, it's about being really objective and functional and rational and individualistic, like not just minimalism, but sort of the whole modernist project. Um, yeah. And, um, and I, th and for me, maximalism is much more about feeling and, and I, I'm a very like rational person and logically minded and analytical and all those things. It's not that I, um, disparage all of that, but, but I do think that, um, that my maximalist tendencies 
are more are softer and more about feeling and about story and about connection. And I can't find that in a stark, bare, minimalist space. Which is not to say that if you can, that's great. Like I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm all about whatever works. But for me, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, anybody? Oh, else, uh, so often, go ahead. Go ahead. So often, those um, what those stark, minimalist, empty spaces represent is exactly the ownership of property, right? Like that when you were talking before about having, you know, uh, owning a space or having a space that a giant empty space is about the most um, uh, aesthetically powerful way there is to. Um, to denote the capital that you own, right? right. Um, you don't find uh, um, uncluttered, rationalistic, um, empty spaces in in situations where there are poverty. Right, exactly. Um, I'm gonna just, again, quickly try to um, touch on a few more of these. Uh, there's always such brilliance in the comments and I, I, I hate it when I don't get to them. <laughs> um, Bug says the queer brown vegan post I linked earlier talks about goblin core versus cottage core and how they like the way goblin core feels more maximalist connected to ecosystems and pro collecting collections. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to, this is entirely new to me. Goblin core. I'm totally going to have to go look at it and bug goes on yeah. versus the individualist self-sufficient, undertones cottage core can have um plus a celebration of things being spaces that might diverge from conventional beauty aesthetic norms i like that a lot um and Alyssa has put a definition i think here for us of assemblage which we were talking about a little bit mm. earlier assemblage is art that is made by assembling disparate elements often everyday objects scavenged by the artist or bought specially goes back to Pablo Picasso's cubist constructions. Hmm. So cool. Isn't it fun when like you're doing something that you like, like my bro brother, when he was 15 thought he invented existentialism, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then discovered that it was already a thing. <laughs> so I love it when I discover that something that I'm doing, like has already always been around. Um, um, let's see what else. Oh, bug goes on. We are also talking in somatic peer support yesterday. This is a little, these, a couple of these posts are really lovely, um, advertisements for divergent design studios. Cause we do have like all this great peer support that goes on and we talk about these things. If you want to come join DDS, there's a link down below. Um, it's pretty affordable and, um, we talk about this stuff all the time. Anyway, Bug, who runs the somatic peer support group, said yesterday they were talking about how being housed creates more capacity, privacy, safety to stim in more ways that society often doesn't understand, pathologizes, demonizes. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, I bet that you were talking about um, especially sort of somatic stims, but I would add that for me having a, an interior space to design is also very stimmy, right? And if I didn't have it, it would be really hard for me. I think that for me, 
just living on my own now, I'm realizing like how much I have also held back because even in the privacy of the home, I still felt the need to like undermine my own needs for the benefit of those around me a lot of the time. And so like the, the, the privacy aspect is, is really important and it is a really important part of like, um, uh, things that give us dignity and, um, you know, I think is a fundamental human right, um, which, you know, we, we, we've, we've been touching on a lot, uh, this kind of, I guess, sort of overlap between this kind of like cluttered aesthetic and like, I guess, like the associations it has with poverty and houselessness. And um, I know this is not a unique observation to me. This is something that I've read. Um, but like a lot of the times people associate uh, minimalism with a place of privilege or wealth because it's like you can go out and buy that unique thing you need and then you can sell it or you can get rid of it. And it doesn't matter because you have the resources to acquire things. So there's like this place of security that it represents that I don't need things because I can just get whatever I need when I need them. Mm. Um, you know, whereas when we're collecting and we're curating, oftentimes it's like, I don't know if I might need this, but I'm going to keep it just in case I do, because I don't know. And if I don't have it and that like, that's not necessarily a negative thing. Like we, we try to frame it like, you know, my family before would be like, Oh, like people were trying to call me a hoarder. And it's like, well, now that I'm living in my own space with privacy, where I have enough space to live, it's like, oh, you have like a normal amount of stuff for a person of your age to have, right? It's like, just because right. I'm, I'm, it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing unusual about having things, but like, it's like, for some reason, even that was shamed. I don't know. That's just like some weird bubble there too that that needs to get unpacked <laughs> no i think that you're absolutely right that like um whatever a normal amount of stuff is you know like depends a lot on our culture and other things but yeah even if you have what would be considered a normal amount of stuff by your society standards if you try to cram it all into one room or a car or a grocery cart, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's not going to look like a normal amount of stuff. It's going to look like you're a pathological hoarder, right? Um, so that's another way I think that like that minimalists could possibly have as much stuff or, you know, they just have a lot more room to spread it out in and they have like fancy bespoke cabinets with doors that they can put it all behind, right? <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to quickly, let's see. Uh, Dita was um, wondering about paint, whether you're wearing clothing that you designed, um, because oh, I know that yes. you, you design clothing. In fact, I'm wearing <laughs> some of it right here. Yes, yes. This my... isn't actually linked up anywhere currently. I need to figure out. Um, it's just it's just a thing that had to go on hold. Um <laughs> You know, I haven't, I haven't been working on that because, you know, it was more important that I get into a space that I feel like I can function, you know, and, and like, I had this like huge ambition last summer that I was like going to start a whole business, do a whole thing. 
Um, but like, I do have my art from the Platella Tarot that I designed and like new, some new art as well um, up on my Threadless shop, which I think you said is linked. Um, yep. This itself is not linked anywhere currently. I'm, uh, it's through like a different, a different avenue. So that's mm -hmm. something that I'm developing. I need to come up with a different one as well because this is a, a pronoun design and so it has he and they on it and i want to make one that says she and they and i want to make one that just says they and you know like i want to do different designs for for different pronoun sets and so i'd rather release like a whole bunch of them bunch. and like have them mm -hmm. all out at once instead of mm -hmm. just like having this there are a couple things that have been out there in the world but overall this is not available but what Mar martha what martha is wearing that's, right. That's, well, so, that's so stay art. tuned. Like, we're not going to say it's not available yet. We're just going to say stay tuned. We're going to tease it because it will be eventually. But you, they can get this, right? This yeah, is a, yeah. Like, I don't know if you can see it. And I don't want to touch my microphone because that makes terrible noises. But anyway, um, this is, I think, an image from your Patella Tarot deck, which I also have, but it's downstairs mm. in my studio, but is just gorgeous. Um, and has all like all of the cards have different um, images that are similar to this in terms of the sort of color and maximalism of them. And if you're into tarot, you should totally go and buy Paint's tarot deck. But also you can get, I think, any of the images from the tarot deck on a T-shirt. Is that right? Yeah. And, and yeah, other things too, right? And other other things too. Yeah, t-shirts, pillows, zip pouches, some of them are on face masks. Really it is it's it depended on how the design lined up. Some of them for whatever reason loaded, right. didn't load. Um they're they're available on all kinds of things. Um clothing, but and I will accessories. Say, I will say I like I love this. I don't actually wear t-shirts very much because I have extreme sensitivity. <laughs> Talk about sensory defensiveness around clothing. Um, and t-shirts often just don't fit me right. And I hate them most of the time. But this t-shirt, I mean, I don't know if you can see how worn it is. It's only because it's been washed so many times because I wear it all the time. Because it actually fits really well. And it's really soft and comfortable. And it doesn't have a tag, I don't think, or else I tore it out. Um, but anyway, just, just to plug paint stuff because it really is beautiful. And if you, um, this is probably a nice note to um, end on. Um, if you do decide to join Divergent Design Studios, as I said at the very beginning, Paint is a founding member of DDS and in fact was part of the sort of beta group that even before we even um, created DDS. And if you go to the landing page to join, the artwork there is artwork that Paint created just for me. Just for DDS. At the time, it was just for me <laughs> because DDS didn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> now it's just for DDS. So anyway, um, this has been so great. I have loved this conversation so much. And um, just like I would normally say in actually in a peer support group, um, I want to like give you guys the last word if you have anything that you don't have to, obviously, there's never any obligation, but I don't know if there's anything that you'd like to say to sort of end and leave um, our audience with. Again, you don't have to. I just don't want anything yeah. that you feel like you wanted to say to be left unsaid. I 
I mean, just considering our whole conversation and sort of the directions that it went in, um, you know, I just I just want to encourage people to not be ashamed of what they need in their home, um, where they need it, how they need it. You know, if you need seven pairs of scissors because you need scissors in every room, like get scissors in every room from the dollar store. Like, it's fine. Um, stuff exists. You know, there's, um, we could feel guilty about the state of things right now, um, but guilt doesn't help us function. Guilt doesn't make the world better. Being, feeling guilty about how we live and what we need and whether or not we're messy, that doesn't help us. And so, like, I would just invite people to just find ways to let go of any way that you, you feel guilty about about what you need to actually function and what would help you accommodate yourself. Because I think that you can, in the maximalism, in the chaos, in the clutter, you are creating a system. There is some magic happening and maybe it's not obvious at the get go, but there's, there's something brewing and, you know, it's really fun to, come to that end to, towards the end of that journey and realize, Oh, I'm, I am actually creating what works for me and like mm-hmm. celebrate that. I'll add a, it's a thought that isn't fully fleshed out yet. And I kind of like it for that reason. It's more of a, just a juxtaposition. And I'm thinking that um, instead of thinking, instead of treating maximalism as something to be pathologized, mm-hmm we ought to think about maximalism as a political act. I love that. As an act of resistance, yes. And as a political act, yes. 100%. And um, just as Paint said so eloquently, and I don't need to say it again, no shame ever about anything. Um, shame is a pathology. <laughs> Nothing that you do is. Um all right, so I'm going to sign off here. Uh, I mean, I could just keep talking with you guys forever, and maybe we'll <laughs> do this again sometime, because there, I'm just now realizing that there's a couple of things that I actually had hoped to touch on that we just, I think, we're out of time for now. But, like, let's let's do this again. This was really fun. What? Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but so this has been the Spiral Lab, and I want to thank Paint and John for coming to talk with us and everybody in the chat for participating um, as always i just love the community that has um built up and stuck with us at the spiral lab even after long absences i'm just so um gratified that so many of you came after such a long time um, of course uh our producer jesse beddows for all their work behind the scenes we literally could not do this without them and they <laughs> in our pre-show little um forays into tech freakouts kept a calm head and as always so thank you jesse um there'll be links as i said there are actually already links in the description to paint and john's work and if you'd like to join us in divergent design studios there's a link down there as well um and then finally um we're now producing our we jesse is now producing our videos as also um an audio only podcast 
Uh, so if you're listening to this on the podcast and you'd like to see some of the images that John and Paint shared, hop on over to the Spiral Lab YouTube channel to watch those. Um, and if you'd like to get those podcasts um, in your inbox every week, you can join my um, substack called Divergent Design at divergentdesign.substack.com. It's free. Uh, I try to put out also uh, an article every week um, or almost every week in addition to the podcasts. So um, thanks again and thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Not necessarily as a live, but we are trying to put something out almost every week now on Thursdays. So thanks a bunch. Bye.